And it's lovely to have Dennis Stewart back again for the year. Hope you had a wonderful time off. And, of course, you've got started on all those projects that you've got for the year. What's in store, Dennis? This year I'm going to concentrate on, on two things particularly. One of those is to address the big problem of diminishing supplies of many of the herbs that we've taken for granted during the 40 years that I've been in practice. And the other big objective is to integrate a lot of the Asian herbs into the herbal medicine system that we use here. This is a a major issue that not only affects me, but also uh, any practitioner or company that's utilising herbs as part of their business. Herbs that I've taken for granted for over 40 years, many of them now are becoming unavailable or so expensive that one can no longer use them. Now, admittedly, most of these are herbs from Europe and, in particular, herbs from the United States. Now, listeners might be interested to know that the predominant system of medical herbalism that's been practised in English-speaking countries is a system, interestingly, that depends very, very, very much on American herbs. And as a result of that, um, we've taken that for granted and used the importation of American herbs to sustain the manufacture of herbal products in this country and also the practice of herbal medicine. Now the situation is that many of those herbs are unavailable, and this is largely as a result, in my opinion, of the way in which uh, herbs have become so popularised, particularly in America, that they have been virtually converted into a, a consumer article. And many rare herbs have been, in my opinion, raped from the American countryside to support the proliferation of non-medical herbal products at a consumer level. And this is a great tragedy, and I don't think it can be addressed because many of these herbs cannot be cultivated. They grow in very, very unique environments. They cannot be cultivated. They cannot now be sourced or wild-crafted. So it presents for the first time in my professional career a real puzzle as to how to get round this. And this leads me into what I said in my introduction. This is where I'm now looking seriously and have done for a number of years of integrating a lot of herbs, particularly from South Asia, particularly from India, into our system of herbal medicine so that these herbs, to a large degree, can take over from some of the American-based herbs that are becoming no longer available. I'll talk about that in a moment. It's a fascinating topic. It is indeed, and this is a good time to remind you, 49216216 is the number to get your question through to Dennis Stewart today. Brian's rung in from Madawi. Brian, you've got a question about ginkgo. Yes, Dennis. Uh, Some time ago you recommended it for um, uh, blood thinner and blood uh, stop blood clotting for strokes. Am I correct? It would be, uh, Brian, it would be unlikely that I would uh, talk about ginkgo in that way. Um, medically, uh, you could make a case for saying that, but I think it would be unwise to interpret ginkgo as a blood thinner or an agent to use in seeking to manage strokes. I think that would be a problem. I, I would not present ginkgo and recommend it for that particular purpose. In fact, Brian, one would have to be a little bit cautious about using ginkgo if one had had a stroke because normally 
or not normally, but frequently, uh, the cardiologist may well have put uh, the patient onto what we loosely refer to as blood-thinning medication, and ginkgo may not be an ideal substance to take when you're already on a blood thinner. So I think you'd have to be cautious about that, Brian. Yes, well, other people have explained, I can't take ginkgo and a blood thinner at the same time. correct, correct. But uh, I was under the impression that uh, ginkgo would uh, um, stop uh, blood clots and therefore reduce stroke possibilities. Well, here again, again you're looking at ginkgo, if you like, as uh, doing a similar thing to what you've probably already been prescribed. That is a medication that works against uh, the possibility of strokes by making sure that your blood's not clotting. So ginkgo would not be something that I would recommend to be a companion remedy for anyone who's using conventional medical treatment. No, I'm not using uh, conventional thinners. Okay, okay. And and, uh, I've got a new doctor, and I think I'm going to... I've argued it out with the other doctors. Yep. But I've got another new one to argue it out because I also take fish oil okay. and I believe okay. that also helps. Well, again, fish oil, and I use fish oil myself. Um, I have great regard for fish oil in the right dosage. But again here, there, there is some literature and some concern that using higher doses of fish oils, particularly when one is taking, um, you know, a clotting medication, so to speak, that there could be an interaction. But again, um, it depends upon whether you're taking that or not. If you're not using anything, I wouldn't see a fish oil as being a great problem. But again, any of these things pertaining to the cardiovascular system, uh, particularly the cerebral uh, vascular system, needs to be talked over intensely with your GP or your cardiologist if there's a case for using either of those preparations, I'm sure sure your medicos would understand that and uh, give you an opinion on it. Yeah, well, a lot of them don't seem to understand these um, herbal remedies. Oh, look, and... I, yeah, I can, look I, I can understand that. <laughs> Brian, you've got to remember that uh, uh, mainstream medicos, wonderful people they are, and I esteem them greatly, um, they do a course of medicine particularly to cope with the structure and requirements of medicine in a modern Western society. It's unfair to expect uh, medical practitioners trained in that environment to also have a a vigorous knowledge of of our system of medicine. I think that's a little bit unfair. Having said that, having said that, I'm impressed with the way, particularly in this town, that more and more uh, patients are talking to me about the way in which uh, their doctor, or in some cases their specialist, understands what they're doing and has no problem with it. I'll give you two examples of that to point out uh, why, even though our GPs and specialists may not be trained in this and perhaps have reservations about it, where in fact there is a, a coming together of the two systems. I'll give you a, a good example of that. I had a patient of mine the other day who has a, a problem with continual nasal bleeding. It's a well-known condition and it's very difficult to treat even with our system of medicine. But that lady has done remarkably well um, using herbal medicine and particularly the the herb yarrow. And uh, as a result of that, her last visit, visit to her specialist, the conversation came up as to how the condition was going 
and uh, the lady said the only thing that had helped was yarrow, and the reply from the specialist was, well, we haven't got anything that we can give, there's nothing new to treat this condition, I'd suggest you stay with the yarrow. Now, that was a, a, a specialist who had, when he found out his patient was taking it, from what I understand, did some research on yarrow and sure, uh, saw that it had a credible uh, hemostatic effect which reflected itself nasally. So there's a good example of where, um, even at a specialist level, um, where there's a scientific and credible uh, justification for using a herbal medicine, it isn't always rejected and it isn't always seen in a cynical way. From Fassifern, Peter, Ross River virus, that's not a nice thing, is it? No, <clears throat> that's for sure. Firstly, uh, Dennis and co, uh, uh, happy and healthy New Year. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. And uh, I, I spoke to you probably middle of last year, yes. um, Dennis, about the Ross River fever yes. I'd found out I had. Yes. You put me on a course for my immune system and it's yes. worked fantastic. I can Thank say you. no more. Thank you. I have mentioned it to numerous people. Now, uh, what I have found out is, uh, and you'd be aware, that not many doctors are aware of how or why to treat Ross River fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of people around about who, who, like myself, you know, have a good or bad day. But what I've done since speaking to you last, I've found out if I go to Google, they can look up Ross River Fever Sufferers Group. Uh-huh. There is such a mob. And uh, follow the links through there and I'll, I'll get to that, which is very helpful, very helpful. Well and done. you'll find out that probably your own problems aren't as bad as some of the others. Mm. Now, the question I had for today, yes. I've got to the next stage of, and I'm introducing turmeric to myself. Yes. And uh, I'm yes. just taking a teaspoon in the morning on top yes. of my cereal. Yes. Do I need more or what should I be doing? Look, my reading on turmeric um, is, puts it in this perspective. If one is seeking to use turmeric as a, how can you call it, a medication to address an active inflammatory condition, it's probably better to use the extract of curcumin from the the herb and use it in a modern, standardised, concentrated form. However, however, uh, the recommendation of using curcumin as a general uh, health agent to support one's health and maybe, maybe even fight against some nasty pathologies, particularly in the bowel, the recommendation that I've read is that about a teaspoonful of turmeric should be used daily, and in that context also one should use a synergist, such as black pepper with it. So that um, in, in the book entitled Foods to Fight Cancer by the two Canadian PhDs, they have a section there on, on curcumin or on turmeric, Peter, that I'd suggest you read. It's one of the best uh, monographs on the understanding of what turmeric does to, to, the, to health and how it should be combined with uh, synergists such as black pepper, particularly to address uh, resistance to some pathologies that assert themselves in the bowel. So if you're going to use it as a general health supplement with potential preventative properties, I would continue doing what, you, what you're doing, albeit making sure that you had that synergist with it because turmeric and curcumin aren't well uh, assimilated. They need a synergist with them to promote their uptake. But if you're using it for a general health purpose in accordance with the recommendations of the two Canadians that wrote the book, Foods That Fight Cancer, 
teaspoonful in my books is, is not bad going, Peter. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. And thanks for your call, Peter. And um, your call, 49216216, to get your question through to Dennis Stewart today. We're going to change subjects now and think about migraines and a herbal, me- uh, herbal remedy there. Paul's rung in from Islington. Hello, Paul. Yeah, hello. How are you? Hello, Paul. You have a problem, yeah, with, you have a problem with migraine, have you? Um, even, not me, a friend of mine. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, quite serious. Uh, mm-hmm. Firstly, I'd just like to congratulate you and uh, your job well done, mate, and your field of work. Thank you very much, Paul. Now, it's quite interesting that the, the question you have raised uh, coin- yep. coincides, uh, interestingly, although Carl Jung would have said synchronistically, um, with what I've been reading um, over the uh, holiday period, if we call it that, I really have holidays, but what I have been doing <laughs> is, is going through my library and picking out a book here or there that I hadn't read for some time. And one mm-hmm. of the books I've been reading over the last week or so has been is a book specifically on migraine and specifically dealing with uh, the herb feverfew. And uh, it's quite a remarkable book in as much that it, it draws or it references a lot of the information on FIFA view that's been called up in mainstream medical journals, uh, things okay. like things like the Lancet, a British medical journal. In the in yep. the in the late or the mid to late eighties, it amongst other journals wrote very encouragingly about the use of FIFA view as a prophylactic or a preventative device for migraine. And whilst this little book, and I should have brought it in, I was going to bring it in, I'll probably bring it in next week or so, written by, a, a, written by a British a bloke, there are numerous testimonials, numerous references to the way in which FIFA view has been basically discovered at a lay level and then has taken off and become a useful device to take uh, in low dose to seek to prevent, not to treat an active migraine, but to seek to work preventatively. Um, So one of the things that I would say is if your dear friend has not used uh, the herb FIFA view, then I would be be suggesting that he makes a beeline to the pharmacy or a health food store and ask for an upmarket standardised preparation of FIFA view and to take it as indicated. The herb fortunately is very inexpensive, inexpensive. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a bit disappointed, uh, uh, Paul, that it, uh, how can I call it, after that initial euphoria uh, of, say, 20-odd years ago, it seems yes. to have not been mentioned as much. And I think, without my wanting to sound too cynical, I think this is probably because um, being a herb, even though it was well written up in medical journals, there's not a lot of money in herbal medicine for major pharmaceutical companies it's not yeah, something no, that it's not something that could be converted if you like into into a whiz bang drug uh, so the the relative how can i call it the, the way in which it's dropped off as far as knowledge and understanding in recent times i put down to the fact that it's a herbal medicine there's not a lot of money for big pharmaceuticals in herbal medicine but uh-huh. but i have used fever view ongoingly and have proved its benefit it would be stupid of me to say it's the answer to migraine but if you were to get and google up the references and the history of it you would see that the low daily dose of the herb fever view has helped many many people now having said that having said that 
like many herbal medicines, sometimes some people can experience an adverse reaction to fever view, which is usually very prompt and which means it's not for them. And that adverse reaction means that sometimes it can cause a mouth ulcer or mouth symptoms, which upon going off the herb will dissipate. I haven't seen too much of that, but it's in the literature. But having said that, if I was a migraine sufferer, I would be wanting to try fever view preventatively to see how it went. Wonderful. And can that be obtained from your, your offices at, uh, at New Lambton? It could, but you're at Islington. Um, you could whip down to Visionary Health or any of the pharmacies uh, around there would have it. Uh, it's a common herb in a, in, a, in a good preparation. I know there's brands like Blackmores and others. Uh, you're welcome to come to our rooms, admittedly, but my point always is if you're in an area, patronise the people where you are. This is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And Margaret has rung in from Elibana. And your daughter has had some, well, she's recovering. That's good to know from breast cancer, Margaret. Yes, yes, she is. Hello, Margaret. Hello, Dennis. How are you? Well, indeed. And your daughter is experiencing some lymphedema. Yes, she is, okay, and she is okay. seeing a physiotherapist, um, you know, every week, so Good. she's trying to okay. keep it under control. Okay. But I have heard you in the past speak of something that yes. you thought could be helpful, and I mm. haven't written it down, so well, Margaret, I was wondering it, if you could uh, help me. It just so happens, um, and I'm sure my dear wife wouldn't mind my mentioning this, it just so happens that uh, uh, we're very familiar with this in as much as my dear wife uh, had the same problem that right. your, your daughter has had. Did, right. your, did your daughter have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy? Mastectomy. Okay. And the, the axillary glands were entirely cleared or was it just a central nerve? No, she, she had one that yes. um, she had had. Yes, yes, it had gone elsewhere, yes. but yes. she's going okay. So. Oh, that's great. Well, look, um, you encourage her because um, my wife's uh, procedure now was probably oh, about 10 years ago. Oh, and right. uh, while she's regularly um, being monitored, as your dear daughter would be, um, yes, she has confidently uh, faced it. And for the lymphedema that my wife experienced, less so now, it's, it's interesting that in as much that uh, initially there was a more active state of it, but rarely do I see Ruth now having uh, major um, uh, lymphedema symptoms when she works too hard as she always does uh, <laughs> particularly when she hangs out a lot of washing and I've tried yes. to encourage her that uh, at this late stage of our professional life surely to goodness we can afford to get our washing done but no she wants <laughs> to do it well look what she does uh, she uses bioflavonoids and, oh, okay. uh, and initially um, the, the, the product that she used was lymphodran and you can, you can guess from the name of it what it was used for, lymphodran, draining the lymphatic system. Now, that's an encapsulated product, and it's a great product, a great product. Um, and it contains bioflavonoids, um, which are renowned. If you were to look in the literature, you would find, mm. that, you would find that one of them in particular, Rutin, R-U-T-I-N, has a reputation for promoting improved lymphatic circulation. So right. a, a product based on bioflavonoids, whether it be Live for Drab, the excellent product that it is, or my product called Flavor Blend, which I develop particularly uh, for my patients, any product that contains the bioflavonoids at a, at a broad spectrum level, particularly a good level of rutin, 
is something that I would encourage your dear daughter to go on to immediately. They right. must they mustn't be seen as a drug because they're not a drug. They're a nutritional supplement, yes. albeit you you owe it to your medical managers to let your daughter know she must share with her managers what she's using and doing uh, so yes. they can keep an eye on it. I would do that. But also, interestingly, my wife is a great fan of the formula or the herbal combination that I men- mentioned frequently on this program called Astragalus 8 and has, oh, has taken Astra. that Astragalus 8. It's a combination that I've, I've mentioned and brought into this country probably Oh, too many years ago now. I'm an old man, but it was brought in a long time ago. And it is seen in traditional medicine as being a very, very useful agent to reinforce okay. the competency of the immune system. It's readily, okay. it's readily available. You're at Elibana. You would get it from Vitology Health Food Store down that way in Warners oh, yes, Bay. I, I do go down right. there. Well, they oh. will have that. That plus the, uh, the bioflavonoids. I would see is a really good start okay. and en- right. en- encourage her because, um, uh, you know, the management of breast cancer these days is superb. And, yes. uh, and, and if a patient really gets involved and, and works with their condition and has confidence with it, uh, the outcome can only be good. All right, Dennis. Thanks very much. I've written all that down. Well, it's only a little bit, but never mind. It could be a help, but you make sure that your your dear daughter mentions those recommendations to to her doctors. Look, Jane, um, you mentioned a moment ago there the Anglican Church, and it brought to my mind that last weekend my dear wife and myself travelled to Mwilumbar and to a little town outside of Mwilumbar called Talgum. And I we went there because one of my best friends, uh, Jeff Burfoot, um, a well-known um, natural therapist who studied under me in Sydney during the mid to late 70s when he returned from Papua New Guinea as, where he'd worked for the Commonwealth Government. Um, Jeff passed away. He'd lived in uh, Talgum, uh, his paradise as he called it, for about 30 years. Jeff was 94, uh, a great exponent of natural medicine, a great exponent of herbal medicine, and uh, I had the privilege uh, of giving part of the eulogy at his funeral in Talgum Anglican Church, a beautiful little church and beautiful people. The whole ter- town turned out. And uh, I thought I'd mention that because there may well be some senior practitioners, naturopaths, herbalists and others in this town that would have known Jeff. He was well known in some of the associations for participating at an administrative level. Well, Jeff passed away at 95 years of age and uh, I thought it was worthwhile and appropriate to mention that. It is a pretty good age mm. to get to. It is too. indeed. And uh, health naturally, your questions, 49216216. Diane has rung in from Bellbird. Now, it's something to do with your veins, is it, Diane? No, it's, no, it's vasculitis. My husband has it. Yes. Now, with a condition like that, Diane, it's obviously a condition that needs to be medically treated well, he, oh, oh he's, he's having yes. medical but and it is in remission at the moment good, good. but his immune immune system is very very low mm. and um he has he's contracted a, an infection in his leg at yes. the moment yes. and i was wondering if there's anything he could take for his to build his immune system up because it's very very low Look, there probably is, Diane, but your husband's situation is, is very serious and he may, it is a very, he, he it is may very well serious. be on other medication. 
As you know, I consult in Cessnock. What I suggest you do is ring my Cessnock rooms and arrange so that we can have a meeting with you and your husband and see if there's anything that I could recommend him to mention to his doctor that might give him that bit of an edge to fight this. It would be inappropriate to make any other recommendations, but contact my rooms there. I'm happy to have a talk. She's taking a chemo. He's taking a chemo tablet. Correct. Correct. He's on the and he's he's losing his hair and he's not very well. Well, this is what this is why I preface my comments by saying, Diane, that it would be unwise uh, to make any uh, effort to help your husband just on the radio. It really does require a lot more consideration than that because what he's taking uh, may interact even with natural things. So you've got to be very cautious, Diane. Mm, yes, all the very best with that, Diane. It's 11 to 1 and 2NURFM's Health Naturally. Now, Dennis, um, a break between calls. Mm. <laughs> and uh, So you were talking about mm. looking at herbs from Southeast Asia to mm. replace the gap mm. that some of the... Not only from Southeast Asia, but mainly from from South Asia. South Asia, India in particular, uh, has had for thousands and thousands of years a vigorous system of medicine known as Ayurveda, which is the oldest traditional system known to mankind. In fact, it's interesting. It's argued that the Western system of herbal medicine uh, practised up until 200 years ago owed its origins to the Ayurvedic system as a result of Alexander the Great visiting the Indus Valley civilization, observing the practice of Ayurveda and bringing back some of its tenets into, into Greece. Now, that's a, a historical thing. That's but interesting. Ayurveda uh, uh, teaches that each, in, each person is an individual with an individual constitution and therefore needs to be treated as an individual sometimes differently to other individuals even with the same condition. It is strongly herbally based, strongly herbally based, and addresses disease from a traditional perspective, seeing it as saying something about a disturbance in the patient's what we'd call homeostasis. Now, without going too deeply into it, um, and it is a deep uh, subject to get into, I've studied and lectured on it now for 25 years, it offers a lot in as much that it's becoming increasingly westernised, very well documented, and many Ayurvedic remedies have already made their way into the Western system of herbal medicine. For instance, I spoke earlier about the problem of getting hold of some of the herbs that we've taken for granted. One leading herb that's used by most Western herbal medicine practitioners to assist infertility, uh, now unavailable, is being, if you like, substituted for by the use of an Ayurvedic remedy and known as Shatavari. Asparagus racemosa is its botanical name. Shatavari is the traditional name of the herb which is used in Ayurvedic medicine as the most appropriate and frequently prescribed remedy to help women in particular that are battling to conceive. Very interesting, without wanting to sound offensive, um, Ayurveda names its herbs very quaintly. Shatavari is a Sanskrit term, but um, interestingly... In Sanskrit, it means she who can accommodate a hundred husbands. <laughs> so one one can immediately see the fertility possibilities associated with Shatavari. So it's a it's a recommendation of the Ayurvedic system to use in conditions 
for which we have depended strongly on the American and European sources. So Ayurveda is something that we will see accelerate as Australian medical herbalism shifts from its Anglo-American roots more towards an eclectic, multicultural, unique system of medicine that I've had the privilege to participate in. And I'll be giving a, a, a guest speaker um, presentation at the first Ayurvedic conference to be held in Sydney in April, and I'm looking forward to that. I did the same in Melbourne last year. I loved uh, working with uh, Ayurvedic practitioners, most of the medical practitioners, many of them Indians, and I love Indian people, love their food and love the herbal medicine. So I will report back after I give that talk in April more about where Ayurveda is at in Australia. That's good. Now, Dennis, of course, there'd be other mm. other areas that uh, Ayurvedic oh. medicine would, would be helpful oh. in. It, in fact, it can be used... It can be used in almost any condition that um, medical or naturopathic persons would work in. And that's why, why many doctors, conventionally trained doctors in India, are also fluent in the Ayurvedic system. And uh, th that's the interesting thing. When one goes to uh, the, the conferences I'm talking about, one is moving amongst medical practitioners who are just as comfortable uh, in interpreting disease and treating disease along Ayurvedic lines as they would treating it along Western lines. So it, it, the interesting thing also, Jane, is that the, the, the immigration of Indians into Australia is accelerating. And as a result of that, we're getting great benefit of this culture and these people. I see the Indians, to me, are a very gentle race and very courteous. There's been no group as welcoming and showing so much courtesy to me as as the, the the Indian colleagues that I work amongst. And they're bringing with them all this traditional knowledge and this massive input of Ayurveda, and we're becoming, if you like, a centre for the teaching of Ayurveda. Now, that is mm, really mm, interesting. Mm, as mm, you say, mm. there's so many more Indians yes, coming in here. Yes, lovely people. And uh, is there a similarity between these herbs, mm. the Ayurvedic herbs, mm. and some of the other countries around the area? Yes, indeed. You'll find that uh, Ayurveda spreads over into Pakistan. Ayurveda also um, follows the Indian population, Malaysia and these sorts of places. So it, it's acknowledged and practised wherever um, the, the dear Indian people have moved to, and hence its proliferation here in Australia. So. Yes. We can expect some wonderful things, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to participating in accelerating the teaching of it in this country. Anyway, yes. You got me wound up there, Jane. <laughs> no, I can yeah, talk about this. Do keep going. <laughs> so it presumably will be quite a big conference too. Yeah, well, look, last the conference in Melbourne overwhelmed me, mm. overwhelmed me. I have never seen such an enthusiastic and large audience. I don't know the exact number, but I would, I would have thought there would have been close to a 1,000 people. Mm. And the enthusiasm, uh, uh, it was incredible. And these were people that were yoga practitioners, medical practitioners, naturopathic practitioners, all sharing a common interest in this wonderful system of medicine and philosophy that comes out of ancient India. Remember, uh, it was being developed in the Indus Valley 2,000 years before Greek civilization started, and it has practiced has been practiced and taught up to this point mm. that's that's awesome that is that is a, awesome a that's long awesome. living mm. thing um and uh was it at the melbourne conference were they mainly indian practitioners no, no in fact uh, it was interesting there were quite a few um 
Australian practitioners, interestingly, some of whom had studied uh, my system of Western herbal medicine 25 years ago, not to mention their names, but um, and, and they were there. We're all looking a lot older, of course, but we all uh, were reminiscing on, on the shared knowledge base that we had. So it wasn't just um, um, Indian speakers. It was a blend mm-hmm. of Indian medical practitioners, Indian exponents of various traditional things, and a lot of, a lot of Australian input, which... Uh, which I thought was um, was remarkable, including one, yours one of the, as well. One, oh, well <laughs> one of the one of the most impressive yes. conferences, and so I'm very happy. I don't do a lot of public speaking these days. Um, I yes. prefer to, to to share my time more with my dear wife now. But with this conference, I was happy to participate. Excellent. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Dennis Stewart, and we look forward to your company again next Friday. It was Friday. lovely, Jane. It was a lovely program. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.